Hello and welcome to Talking You Retina. This is the official podcast of the European Society of Retinal Specialists, Uretina. I'm Jonathan McRae. Every fortnight, we bring you the latest news from the society, expert discussions and interviews with leading experts from the world of retina and beyond. In this episode, as the annual Congress looms nearer, we're going to be previewing some of this year's keynotes. So we're delighted to be joined by Professor Shoba Shiva Prasad, who will be delivering the Uretina lecture. Professor Shiva Prasad is a consultant ophthalmologist in Moorfields Eye Hospital NHS Foundation Trust and a professor in retinal clinical research at UCL. She is the director of the Moorfields Clinical Research Facility and her main research interests are clinical trials, retinal imaging and risk prediction Shoba, you're very welcome. We will also hear from Katrine Crusoe-Garchet, who will deliver the Gisbert Ricard Lecture. Professor Crusoe-Garchet is currently the head of the Department of Ophthalmology and responsible for the outpatient surgical unit in University Hospital in Dijon. She's also been head of the Centre for Research at Dijon since 2012. You're also very welcome, Katrine. And to chair our discussion and tease out a few themes for these upcoming keynotes is Mr. Alistair Laidlaw, Uretina's president and consultant vitreoretinal surgeon at Guy's and St. Thomas NHS Foundation Trust in the UK. Alistair, it's great to see you again. How has your summer been so far? My summer's been great, thank you very much. How's yours? You've been living in France, I believe. Yes, um, and our time in France is is coming to an end very shortly, so I, I will very much miss it. But um, Ireland will always be our home, so uh, we, we'll, we'll grin and bear it. <laughs> and you'll be back in time for the rugby. Yes, indeed. And that's something to look forward to, indeed. Ireland are in great form at the moment. Absolutely. Well, it's a great pleasure to talk to you, Jonathan, but it's a much, much greater pleasure to talk to uh, <laughs> Katerine and Schober, who are our, some, two of our four superstar guest lecturers coming up for the Hamburg Uretina meeting. That's going to be the 22nd Uretina, and it's actually going back to the place where Uretina started 22 years ago. I'm hoping that everyone who's listening is going to make a big effort to come, either virtually or preferably face-to-face. So, Katerina Cruzogarcia is uh, well known to, to most vitreoretinal surgeons um, and to most retinal specialists. Uh, she's absolutely fantastic at doing and organizing and reporting clinical studies uh, in vitreoretinal surgery and some of the, the pivotal trials, particularly on macular hole surgery. Um, and I believe she's been involved uh, recently in a submacular hemorrhage trial. So it would be great to uh, just hear from you, uh, Katrine, how things are going, what your interest in in clinical research in VR and retina is, um, and a brief outline, just a teaser for your uh, for your upcoming uh, Gisbert Ricard lecture. Hello, Alistair. It's, uh, it's very nice to be with you. And um, I will try to answer the question the patient usually ask me, because I am a surgeon, and uh, one most difficult things I, I have to do is to answer patient asking me what are my chances for recovery and good recovery and what is the risk for me to lose vision or worse, to lose my eye. And uh, with all our epidemiological studies, our retrospective studies and our big data analysis, I think that we can now give some answers to these questions. 
that's absolutely fantastic. Um, tell me, what, what trials have you been particularly involved in of late or ones that are, um, our listeners and our delegates are going to probably be using uh, in their day-to-day practice, perhaps without realizing that you were, you were involved in those trials? Well, I, I think that um, the diagnosis of macular diseases and especially epiretinal membrane is very, very common. We diagnose a lot of epiretinal membrane uh, thanks to the OCT. And however, the chance for very good recovery is dependent on different factors like previous visual acuity. And uh, if, of course, we need to operate the patient sooner than before, we need also to take into account the risk for complication. And uh, while we can say the cataract is a mandatory complication, I think that endophthalmitis and retinal detachment are very severe complications, and uh, the practitioners need to be aware of that. Absolutely. These um, evidence-based clinical outcomes are vital when we're talking to people in the clinic. One of, my, uh, one of the, the trials that you've done that I particularly refer to a lot is the, the randomized trial on posturing um, in macular hole surgery, which then was done in a, a similar um, but slightly more targeted to a specific population by the Beavers community under Jim Bainbridge. Do you want to tell us a bit about that trial and how you got it done? Because another feature of your work is it's often very, very collaborative with lots and lots of French centres, isn't it? Yes, it's true. Um, I think that we are, we are stronger if we are together. So it's, uh, it's easier to collect all cases from uh, our, our colleagues and then to go further with one question. And for this trial, the question was whether the positioning was important for macular hole closure. And definitely we were able to see that it was not so important, except probably for large macular holes. So you can adapt and customize your requirement for your patient in post-op. And what amazes me is that, I mean, that, that trial must be, what, 10, 12 years old now, is it? What amazes me is how difficult we as clinicians who are interested in research find it to get the message out into changing people's day-to-day practice based on evidence. How, how do you find that going and, and what are your top tips for doing that? Yes, it's, it's true, but, you know, habits is something very, very difficult to change probably the most difficult things to change. And uh, I remember that some of my colleagues mentioned that they asked for post-op positioning for one or one week or 10 days, and they use a long-lasting gas. Uh, while we found very good uh, rate of macular hole closure using uh, only uh, SF6 plus no positioning for small macular hole. So we need to adapt our requirement to the patient, for the patient, to decrease the complication after the surgery, because to, to be positioned is also, can, can induce some complications. Oh, and I think the other thing we have to be realistic about is that patients don't really like doing it. And I think the, the relationship between what we ask them to do and what they actually do uh, it can be quite loose at times. But this isn't purely about macular hole surgery. Can you just give us a little um, thumbnail sketch, uh, a teaser, if you like, um, of what you're going to be telling us about in the Gisbert Ricard lecture? Well, we, we need to be aware that uh, epiretinal membrane and macular hole are slightly different about the complications. 
For epiretinal membrane, the risk of endophthalmitis is increased, and this is exactly the other way around for macular hold. So you need to take it into account and to give information to your patient first, and then to take care during the surgery, for instance, to avoid vitreous incarceration in the wound and uh, to to be very clear about the sclerotomy while doing epiretinal membrane surgery, for instance. And in your Gisbert Ricard lecture, are you going to be talking predominantly about macular holes and epiretinal membranes, or are you going to be branching out into other aspects of evidence-based vitreoretinal surgery? I, I will uh, try to give some um, to, to give some information about um, uh, vitreoretinal surgery in general, but mainly about macular hole and epiretinal membrane, especially about anophthalmitis and the, what, what we can propose as a prophylaxis, especially when we have a, a combined surgery, for instance. And I know that the the French have done a, a the French Society together have done a fantastic trial recently on surgery for submacular hemorrhage. Are we going to be hearing the results of that at Uretina this year? I can give some um, some information. Yeah, that's good because that that really could be a, a game changer to have evidence rather than surgeon preference on what to do about that. I, I think it can be very complementary uh, for a tiger study. I think what's what's great is we've got um, a, a very well-known and prominent female uh, leader from France giving the talk at the Gisbert Ricard uh, lecture in Hamburg. Gisbert Ricard set up Uretina with August Stoitman. First meeting uh, was in Hamburg, um, and Gisbert was very much a surgeon. So it's a great full circle um, to be inviting you to give this talk, and we were delighted when you accepted. So thank you very much indeed on that. I'm very honoured, in fact. The honour is ours. Well, it's a great pleasure also um, to to welcome Shoba Siva Prasad. I've known Shoba for many, many years. She's had the most extraordinary career, starting um, training in India and then coming to Britain and working her way up to being one of the lead medical retina specialists at Moorfields, a professor in research. I think you were the um, something like the retina specialist of the year or some other amazing award. Uh, she's editor of the Eye Journal. Um, she runs the College of Ophthalmologist Guidelines. Shoba's list goes on and on and on, as would Catherine's if I had it in front of me at the time. But it's a, a great honor to be welcoming you to give the, uh, the Uretina lecture. And Shoba has been a great friend of Uretina, giving many courses and lectures over the years. So tell us, Shoba, what are you going to be telling us about in the Uretina lecture in Hamburg? If I could actually squeeze the whole of diabetic retinopathy management in that lecture, that would be great. But what I'm trying to highlight is more about the areas where at present it seems that it's many years to come before we can even think of treatment. And I'm just going to try and focus in such areas in that lecture. And is the bulk of your research on diabetic retinopathy, Shoba, or are you extending across the whole of medical retina? I do common diseases, so my my research is mainly on diabetic retinopathy, age-related macular degeneration, and vein occlusion. And you were quite important in a very large trial recently on different management options for vein occlusion, weren't you? That's it. So Mr. Phil Hyken was the chief investigator of the VIVO study that... Uh, 
uh, evaluated the comparative efficacy of three anti-VEGF agents that we commonly used at that time. And I was the co-chief investigator as it was an extremely large trial uh, involving 44 sites in the UK. And clearly we needed to do that sort of trials in partnership. It is great that we've seen this, and we saw this with Katerine's work as well, that within countries we're now getting um, investigator-initiated trials rather than industry trials, where lots and lots of centres in individual countries are taking part. And in no attempt trying to blow a trumpet and Shoba advised on this, I did a, a small trial on surgery for diabetic macular edema. And we got large numbers of centres that were keen to join up. There does seem to be a hunger uh, amongst people to join in these multi-centre trials. Is that, does, does that reflect your opinion, Shoba? That's exactly right, Alistair. And I think we have to acknowledge the DRCR network. I think that network not only taught us a lot about trials in this um, different parts of diabetic retinopathy care pathway, but what it did was it showed us that uh, investigator-led trials could be done collaboratively with large number of centres have never done trials before and then get going and therefore I feel like it is a really a success for uh, countries that do not have that much of resources put into trials when we get that uh, into a success story. So one thing that is is notable about both Katerine and Shoba's work is that they're investigator-led rather than industry-led um, studies and trials, uh, which is obviously a lot of work for the investigator to set up. And Shoba, I know you've been amazing on that with Clarity and with Levo and with other studies of that ilk. And Katerine's had the, uh, the French macular hole uh, trial and the French submacular trial uh, to name but a few. Um, your retina has dipped its toes in this um, with the TIGER trial, which is uh, going on. And there will be information about that uh, at the meeting, which is a, a, a trial of surgery for submacular uh, hemorrhage um, in the context of AMD. Uh, and so that's a very exciting thing. The, I think the whole point about this, it'd be interesting to hear Shoba and uh, Katerine's views on it, is that this requires individual centers, either within a country or within Europe, to join up and be prepared to take part in trials. So Shoba, have you found it easy to get people to take part in trials? When we start off a clinical trial for the first time, which I did in the UK, of course it is challenging because many centres would not have had the experience to run these trials. But having had this experience over the last 10 years, I'm very confident that every country can do this and many centres in each country can participate. Uh, we have the Horizon 2020 type of uh, investigator-led large studies where they do have a CRO managing it. But I think if a country takes the lead, they will be able to deliver this. And I really look forward uh, to the results of the TIGER study, which is one example of what Uretin is doing for us. So, Catherine, what's your experience with setting up and running these trials in France? Have you branched outside France and tried to include other countries? It is difficult. It is challenging to, 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 to get all people involved in clinical trials because you, you need time, you need money, you need uh, a nurse to, to help you. So it's difficult. It is true. But I think that clinicians are very proud to participate and they are willing to participate. 
So I think that definitely it's a, there is a place now for, I would say, a, a DRCR net in, in Europe and trying to include all clinicians in, in one or two topics and to go further. It would be fascinating to develop uh, that sort of network um, because the, the DRCR net really have informed how we should manage diabetic retinopathy. It, it's amazing. The one, one option which... Uh, may be possible to achieve is shared data. And Uretina supported um, an initiative set up by Bill Aylwood and the British Victoria Retinal Society to classify prospectively all retinal detachments. And now there's publications coming out of this based on about 8,000 uh, prospectively recorded detachments. It's about success or failure and um, gaining um, 612, which is 0.3 logmar or 0.5 decimal uh, acuity after surgery um, in macular off cases. So this was individual clinicians doing the work, taking part and literally just typing in the data set at the time. And that sort of registry information, with or without images, which may or may not be possible, is a great way to collect data and start to answer questions. Have you, have you been doing anything like that in France, Catherine? In, in France, we participate in my department and in other departments to the FRB program. So yeah. we register our data for AMD, DME, and also macular edema linked to vein occlusion. And we are trying to go further with glaucoma and keratoconus. So I think that we now we are at the corner when we can share data. The problem remains imaging, true. But yes. at, by now, I think that we are ready to do that. And the, there was a, an amazing French study, wasn't there, on the population risks of retinal detachment which following cataract surgery, which was based on something like 5 million cataract operations over... Uh, a six-year period. I'm picking these off the top of my head. Would that be correct? Yes, it's uh, it's, it's based on, on on big data analysis. It's exactly what we did with the macular hole, epiretinal membrane, and also about endophthalmitis uh, after cataract surgery, where we included more than uh, almost four million people operated for cataract, and showing that um, intracameral cefiroxime was a uh, a good thing to avoid endophthalmitis. That's very good. A very, very strong, um, very strong message there. So, Shoba, um, we seem to be talking very much about clinical research, and you two have been chosen to give these uh, award lectures um, on the basis of your research background. Both of you are on very, very clinical topics, uh, and as you say, you're working on common diseases. How easy do you think it is to get your message out to the, um, the clinician in a clinic, uh, harassed, running late, um, in order to get evidence-based uh, medicine into their day-to-day -day practice? Yeah, that's an absolutely wonderful question, Alistair. We always like to start up a trial, recruit in time, and then write it up and publish in a, you know, a, a very well-recognized journal, and then sort of finish it off there. The, the point that you are stressing is about the dissemination beyond a publication. And often that's an area that's very weak among us researchers. And this social media age 
today gives us an opportunity actually to have these sort of podcast webinars etc to get out key messages and this lecture for example is a great honor for me to present some of the key points that i think may be useful in the next 10 years it will take time but i think many of us have now got the habit of listening to webinars and podcasts and i'm sure these type of social media presentations will help us in the long term Thank you. Katrine, have you got a few words to wrap up with uh, before we say goodbye? No, um, it's very warm in Burgundy by now, but uh, <laughs> I, I am sure that uh, it will be also very nice in Hamburg. So very happy to join you. Well, I'm really looking forward to welcoming uh, the pair of you to give the award lectures at Hamburg. It's full circle back to uh, Hamburg where we started 22 years ago for Uretina 22. And these two clinical leaders, I'm sure, are going to both entertain and inform. Thank you very, very much indeed for coming on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Alistair, thanks very much for whetting our appetites uh, for these upcoming keynotes. The Uretina lecture will be delivered by Professor Shoba Shiva Prasad from the UK on the Thursday, 1st of September at the Uretina Congress in Hamburg. And on Saturday, the 3rd of September, the Gisbert Ricard lecture will be delivered by Professor Catherine Crusoe-Garchet. And that's it for this episode of Talking Uretina. Enjoy whatever sun you can get wherever you are for the next two weeks. We'll be back in a fortnight previewing more content from the 22nd Uretina Congress in Hamburg from the 1st to the 4th of September. Until next time on Talking Uretina, I'm Jonathan McRae.